Hi, I'm Luisa Portugal. And I'm Ria Almeida. And this is Not CoronaCast. We actually recorded an episode this week, but when it came time to release it, it just felt wrong with everything going on. It was difficult for us to predict, even a couple of weeks ago, that there would be an issue more urgent and important in the United States than the pandemic. But here we are. Wagner Review Editor-in-Chief Tiffany Rose explains the gravity of this moment better than we ever could. The American criminal justice system has continuously failed to hold police officers accountable for excessive force against Black Americans. It is hard to ignore the injustices so many Black Americans face today. As we've seen with previous cases of fatal police brutality, it is unlikely that all of the officers involved will be held accountable for their actions. Not only is it important to seek justice for Floyd and many before him, but it's important that the American legal system works harder to eradicate systemic racial bias. What we wanted to do is to create a space where voices more relevant than ours could be heard. With this in mind, we reached out to two of our friends and fellow Wagner students. Over the last few days, we had separate conversations with Lexi Kirtan and Teja Hawkins, who graciously agreed to share with us how they are feeling right now. Before we start, we have a PSA from Lexi about how non-Black allies can engage in these conversations. It's important to be patient just listen and be mindful of not triggering another person's trauma. There are a lot of different ways that people can experience the pain and trauma of what's gone on, um, but as to not reinduce those feelings by having the conversation. So you really have to meet that person halfway and, and um, understand that it, it just may not be something that they feel comfortable sharing or if they do that that could be they their their emotion could be anger and my personal emotion is is heartbreak or pain we are very grateful to Lexi and Tasia for sharing openly with us right now when we got started the first emotion that they shared with us was their frustration and fear and they talked about how none of this is new for people of color in the United States this is Tasia talking. My thoughts are that we are living in very crazy, but also not new times. Um, the things, the violence that we're seeing against Black people in America, the protests that we're seeing, um, they were incited in this case by the murder of George Floyd, but these situations have repeated throughout American history. Um, this violence is ingrained into our system. And um, something that I think about a lot, I have seen these cases throughout my entire life. Um, I've experienced my father was assaulted by police when I was young. Um, I, I personally think um, I have fear and I, I think personally about the effects that police violence have in my own personal life. And I also think a lot about the, the structures that are in place. And even though we see uprisings throughout the country, um, what we're seeing really is just the culmination of centuries of trauma and pain and violence that have been inflicted on the Black community. As our individual conversations with them continued, they talked about the lack of safety they felt as Black Americans in America. And I, I consider myself a pretty optimistic person, I think. 
Um, but it's hard to not think that this could be my brother, this could be my dad, this could be my family member and not feel afraid for them every single day and not be worrying for them every single day. And I've talked to my brother about his process of leaving the house and checking his surroundings to make sure he looks like he's in the right place at the right time. When he goes into his car, he puts his wallet right next to him so that he doesn't have to reach for anything. He keeps his phone right on his lap so he doesn't have to reach for anything because of the fear of getting pulled over and potentially being in a violent or fatal altercation with the police. And the fact that as a Black woman and, and those of us who identify as Black have to repeatedly feel that trauma every time someone is injured or killed by law enforcement or by um, a citizen, by whoever it is, is just, it's just like a type of heartbreak that is almost irreparable. My friends, family, people that they know, no one should have to live in fear. Here's what Deja had to share with us. You know, for, for me as a Black person and for Black people, like we're thinking about like, yes, we're in a pandemic, but also like we're dying disproportionately from that pandemic. We're scared to go outside and walk. Someone like Ahmaud Arbery was just murdered for jogging. And so we're in a pandemic, but don't feel safe to go outside. Um, I don't feel safe in my house because Black people also get murdered in their homes. Um, I don't feel safe, like, I don't feel safe walking around my neighborhood with a mask because people are so much more suspicious of Black people. So, like, I also might feel disproportionately, like, more uncomfortable even, like, being outside in masks because I know that, like, because of the color of my skin, I'm looked at as suspicious. Deja reminded us that despite the fear and frustration and the inadequate response from the U.S. government, this is still the only home that she knows. The fact that our country is willing to send military, the National Guard, and all of these cities and states before they are willing to arrest these other three officers is disgusting, frankly. Um, I think I continually feel just disgusted and disturbed by this country. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate for me. There's not really, I think as a Black person, I'm very mindful of, like, there's not really a safe place for me to go besides being in the U.S. Um, regardless of how Black people are treated in this country, this, this is our home. Um, and I think in times like this, a lot of the times I wish that it wasn't. I wish that there is somewhere else that I would feel safe in Black skin, and that doesn't really exist um, in this world. And so I think that's, that's also unfortunate. And it's, I think, just sad to see it's sad to see the violence escalate. It's sad to see, um, it's sad to see videos of parents talking to their black children about why they not might not be safe um, from a very young age. It's sad to see people who are peacefully protesting being brutalized by the police. She told us about how she spent five hours peacefully demonstrating in New York City. 
I personally walked five hours across New York City on Saturday um, in a protest, in a peaceful protest. And, and I also, I have a lot of empathy for those who are not peacefully protesting. I think that is a complicated thing, but I think we also have to be mindful of the trauma and the violence that's been inflicted on Black communities and be mindful of the judgment that we put on people who might not be peacefully protesting. And also be mindful that protesting and sometimes non-peaceful protesting has been the way that things, um, that change has been created in this country. And I think also being mindful that um, whenever Black people have chosen to protest in ways that are peaceful, which has been happening for years and years and years, these things continue to happen. And so I, I personally, um, while I don't condone, condone violence, I understand the ways that people are feeling right now. And when we ask Tasia, if she feared the consequences of having protests in the middle of the pandemic, this is what she had to say to us. I think I would just say like, it feels like dealing with the structural racism in this country is more important and more salient right now than preventing the spread of coronavirus. And, and I don't, I don't want to compare or equate the two, but because it's a really difficult thing, but like, we're getting killed from all different directions. And so like, there's not really a like, I'm gonna choose not to do this thing that might save me in this way because I might die of this other thing. Like, how do you choose between different like methods of death? I don't, I don't know. As our conversations went on, Lexi talked to us about how she grew up in a predominantly white part of Colorado and what that feels like all these years later. I, went to a school that was predominantly white. I think maybe it was like me and one other person that um, were people of color. I think I was the only black person in my grade. And sort of fast forwarding now, being friends with them on social media and sort of seeing their response to this and just feeling like, is that what they thought of me? Like, or my friends, my family, like, and them knowing, knowing me as a person and, and saying, oh, you're one of the good ones, or you're, they sort of place you in a different category, a different box. Like, oh, like Lexi, you're not threatening. You speak really well. You do this and that. And it's, if you care about me, if you think I matter, then everyone else who is Black also matters too. When we ask them to think about the future and to look forward, this is what they had to share. I'm, I'm 25 now and I've experienced things so much in this country that like, I don't even know what it would take to rebuild my trust in the US system. Like, I don't know if for me personally, I will ever feel safe in the United States. I hope that my children will, um, but I, like the things that we fight for are these policy changes and like investment in black communities and divestment in the police and in mass incarceration. But I think that even when those things happen, and I do believe that I will see those things happen in my lifetime, I don't think that my trust in this system will ever be there. Um, 
I, I just think that like it's been too ingrained for too long for me to ever feel fully safe in this country, which is, I've never thought about it that way, but it's really sad to think about. Um, yeah, I think that there are a lot of people who still hold really racist values and those people still have control over our system. And so even though I fight for the things I fight for, like justice reform and police reform and education investment, and, and there's so many specific policies that are really important, I just don't know that like trust in the system will ever be repaired. Now, on to Lexi. I wonder what I can do. Um, and I know there are a lot of really awesome resources that are going around right now um, from the ACLU and, and others um, on ways to donate. But I think it just doesn't stop there. There's just so much, um, whether from small NGOs or advocacy organizations, people working in the field that are um, working on this, that are doing an incredible job. But it's just going to take even more than that, uh, a systematic, you know, reconfiguration that I just really hope happens in my lifetime. As Tasia said in the beginning, this isn't new. Emmett Till, Trayvon Martin, Rodney King, the list can keep going. But both of our guests saw reasons to feel optimistic in these particular protests in 2020. I think what's different about the civil unrest now is that we have cameras and we have cell phones and we have technology to allow for scaled organizing and to have scaled sharing of the brutality that's been happening. I don't think that, I think a lot of these, this this feels very similar or similar, this feels similar in a lot of ways to the civil rights movement for me. I think the difference again is, is we have technology. So I, I do think that what's helpful to see is I think we have a lot of we have a lot of allyship. We have the ability to spread information a lot faster. We have the ability to create coalitions a lot faster. We have more access to information that helps us be smarter about the work that we do. So I think that all of those things are really important. Um, and I think that those, that's what makes it different from what's happened in the past. And I think hopefully that helps us create change faster. I think also we are, our country is less white than it used to be. We have, like, we are quickly becoming a majority minority. And I, I hate the term minority because people of color are not the minority in the world. Um, but we have increasing numbers of people of color in this country. And I think as a lot of us are growing up being really civically engaged, I think that we'll be able to create change faster potentially than it happened in the past. So I feel hopeful about that. I think what's really nice too is that there's so much solidarity between the different groups of people of color, like like Latinos, Asians, everyone. Like it's been really um, encouraging to sort of have and, and share in experiences because 
it's obviously not the same experience, but there can be a lot of empathy in, in recognizing that. We could have stopped there and ended on a positive note, but Lexi brought us back to reality of this moment when she reminded us what this all means in a historical context. I think in a situation like this where it's so monumental in scale that you're feeling, I I'm feel like I'm feeling the trauma of my ancestors. I'm feeling the pain that they went through and, and are going through now. But we're also in the same way, the evidence of all the hard work and all of the pain that they went through. Thank you, Lexi and Tasia, for talking to us. To learn more about the great work that both of them do, you can read about them in the description below. There, you can also find resources to donate. As Lexi shared, they aren't enough, but they are a start. For all those feeling the traumas of these events and or exercising that democratic right to protest, we hope you stay safe and healthy. And we'll see you next week with an actual episode of Corona Cast, a Wagner Review podcast series. <laughs> <laughs>